0: Joshua chapter 22 is such an incredible uh, series of events and I wish that I could read this entire chapter in your hearing um, but I want you to still like me when we get done with this so we won't we won't read the entire chapter tonight but we're for the sake of time we're going to skip around just a little bit this is a incredible moment in the history of the children of Israel. They have conquered the promised land. They have come in into the promise that the Lord had had been promising them for some time. They'd finally come into it. But there are a few tribes that have decided that they are not going to take their dwelling in the promised land. But that they would rather dwell outside of the promised land on the other side of Jordan. And we pick up in our text in Joshua Chapter 22 and verse number 5. If you're there, say, Man. These two and a half tribes have just come to Joshua and said, let us, let us go back to our inheritance. And Joshua admonishes them. He says, I'll let you go, but verse 5 Take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cleave unto him. Somebody say cleave unto him. It's almost like it's not enough just to keep the commandments. He says keep the commandments and cleave unto him, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. Skipping down to verse number 9. The Bible says that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. And they departed to go unto the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And then it gets strange. When they come into the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, The whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. Not a good situation when you have made everybody else mad. They built an altar that they weren't supposed to build. And the children of Israel are coming to war against them. Skipping down to verse number 21. The children of Israel have sent this delegation to These two and a half tribes and have said, why are you doing this? This is this is not good to do. You should not have done this. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, they answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth, and Israel he shall know. If it be in rebellion or if it is in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day that we have built us an altar to turn From following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, this is why we built this altar. In time to come, your children might speak unto our children saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made Jordan a border between us and you, you children of Reuben and children of Gad, and you have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Two more verses. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar. But this is a strange altar, because this altar is not for burnt offerings, and it's not for sacrifices. But that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us. That we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, and that your children may not say to our children, In time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore said we that it shall be, when they should say to us, or to our generation, in the time to come, that we may say again, Behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made. Again, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifices. But it is a witness between us and you. Can we say amen to the reading of the word? You know, altars altars are designed for a very specific purpose. They are built up. They are raised platforms with a flat surface. The purpose of an altar is to have a place to offer sacrifice. That's the purpose of an altar. And I don't know how how preachy it will be tonight. I want to work through this passage with you and... And try to convey to you what the Lord has been dealing with my spirit about. But I want you to know tonight that it is a strange thing when you build an altar, but don't build it for sacrifice. And I want to preach to you with the help of the Lord. A strange altar for our children. A strange altar for our children. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands to heaven and ask the Lord if he would come and meet us in this house tonight? God, would you strengthen us to hear your word. I pray that you would anoint your servant, O oh God. Lord, I believe that you have a word of encouragement for this body that has come before you. And I pray that your word would go forth and it would accomplish what you have sent it to accomplish. And we believe for it tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. And would you lift up a hand clap of praise unto the Lord before you are seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine if we had read the whole chapter? Praise God. God. We're going to work through it. You know, there's there's a conversation that I keep seeming to get dragged into over and over again. About two weeks ago, I sat down and Uh, Joined a video call with a man um, who runs a political organization right outside of D.C. And the topic of our conversation was about this agenda that is coming against our children. And on Monday night, I sat down with a man from Texas and joined him on his program. And again, the topic of our conversation was how do we protect our children from the agenda of this present culture? And yesterday, I received another message from a couple in California asking me to come on to their program. And this was the title that they wanted to discuss Empowering Our Kids to Defeat Woke Ideology. For some reason, I keep getting drugged into this conversation. But every day that we draw closer to the coming of the Lord, I believe very strongly that the agenda of this world becomes clearer and clearer. Every day that we get closer to the coming of the Lord, I am further reminded that this world will do anything in its power to destroy our children, to destroy our young people, to destroy their faith, to destroy their worship, to destroy their walk with God, to destroy their knowledge of the truth of the word of God. And after a while of, of saying the same thing over and over, you begin, to, you begin to feel like a broken record a little bit. But if I could submit to the record one more time tonight and submit to you precious people that I still believe the word of God is true. I still believe that the word of God is the fundamental basis for a life that is pleasing to God. I still believe that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I don't care who says that this book is outdated. I don't care who says this book is full of fantasies. I don't care who says this book is full of hate speech. I still believe that every word was divinely ordained by God and that it is for benefit to His people. When it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, I believe that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When it says that God created them male and female, male and female created he them, I still believe that God intended for it to be male and female. When the word declares to us that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And that the union of marriage is between man and a woman. And what God has joined together. Let no man put asunder. I still believe that God had an intentional design and an intentional plan when he created the family and the marital unit. But this world that we live in has waged a war against our children. I believe that very, very strongly tonight. And it is a war of familiarity. Somebody say familiarity. Every avenue of access that this culture has to your children, they are spreading the same message. Now I find it incredible. If, if the church could get all on the same page And speak the same message as well as the world has gotten on the same page. And has spoken the same message. It's hard to tell what could happen. What kind of revival would break out. But for some reason and somehow the agenda of this world has all gotten on the same page. To push a common message. And that message is that you can be whatever you want to be. Boy, girl, both, neither. You can love whoever you want to love. You can do whatever you want to do. It's in the school systems. It's on social media. It's in cartoons. It's on YouTube. It's in picture books for children. And if you don't believe that, head over to truthbook.co and watch some of our reels. Because it is absolutely in the school systems. It's in picture books. It's everywhere. And to give the devil his due, the numbers show that this campaign seems to be working. And it's working most effectively in the youngest of generations. Brother Tyler, if we could, can we put that chart up, sir? Researchers have been tracking. I know it's not normative to to show data and and pictographs on a Wednesday night, but is this okay? Is is everybody doing okay? Researchers have been tracking the trend in LGBT. It's much longer than that now. but identification by generations of U.S. adults. And they have tried to track across each generation how many people in that generation identify with this agenda. And there is something weird that happens between generation X and generation Z. In generation X, those who are born between 1965 and 1980, only 4.2% of individuals identified with this agenda. But if you'll notice, they literally had to zoom the chart out. Because the newest generation, Generation Z, somehow we have gone from 4.2% to 20.8% of young people who identify with this agenda. And you begin to to read to this research and begin to try and wrap your mind around it. You find that these researchers are are collectively scratching their head trying to answer the question, why has there been such a sudden spike? It seems like this has come out of nowhere. You've got Generation X, you've got the millennials, you've got the baby boomers, all around the same normative answer. And then out of nowhere, it seems that this newest, this youngest generation is off the charts for this agenda. Well, these are some of the comments that these researchers have made about this data. They said that should the trend within Generation Z continue, the proportion of U.S. adults in that generation who say they are LGBT will grow even higher once all the members of the generation reach adulthood. They're implying there's something happening to the children. And to get even more blatant than that, another researcher said, here's the big picture. The increasing number of young adults self-identifying as LGBTQ Underscores changing societal norms. He said, The kids, I want you to listen to this. He said, The kids are growing up now in a very different environment. I'm talking to you tonight about a war of familiarity. I'm talking to you about the kinds of environments that our children grow up in. Thank you, Brother Tyler. I'm talking tonight about what we allow our children and our families to be surrounded and exposed to. Because the more opportunities that this culture has to expose your children to their agenda, rest assured they will sink their grip into them. And the question becomes more serious every single day. Where have you built your house? Have you built your house closer to the agenda of the world or closer to the things of God? Have you built your dwelling and built your living experiences closer to the experiences and the influence of the world? Or have you built your house facing the house of God? And can I speak from the heart of a youth pastor tonight and tell you that right now is not a good time to be missing youth services. Right now is a really bad time to be missing Sunday morning youth class. Right now is a really bad time to be missing Thursday night prayer meeting. Right now is a really bad time to be missing Wednesday night midweek service. Right now is a really bad time to be missing Sunday morning and Sunday night service. Right now is not a good time to be missing on the things of the house of God. Every opportunity I have, I want my family to be in the house of God. Every opportunity that I have, I want my family to be around the people of God to be worshipping the living God in the house of God. Maybe that's why the writer said in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the closer I want to be to the house of God. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the closer I want to be around the people of God. The more this agenda preaches its message, the more I want to be here to hear my pastor preach the living word of the living God. The closer we get, we can't afford to, to not come. We can't afford to reduce it. But so much more as you see the day approaching why do you go to church so much why do you spend so much time at that church that church has consumed your life has anybody ever heard anything like that maybe it's just me but i I think there's some people who've heard things like that you you spend an awful lot of time at that church over there you spend an awful lot of time you you never get to do anything else two services on a sunday count me in Use service on a Tuesday night, count me in. Midweek Bible study on a Wednesday night, count me in. Prayer meeting on a Thursday night, go ahead and count me in. Marriage ministry on a Friday night, go ahead and count me in. You know why? Because the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the closer we've got to stay with the culture of the kingdom. I can't afford to let my family be surrounded by the culture of the world. I need my family to be in the house of God. It's a war of familiarity. What you allow your children and your family to be familiar with, to be surrounded by, they will eventually become servants to it. If you allow them to be enveloped and you allow your family to be encompassed by the things of God, by the presence of God, surrounded by the people of God, it produces children that will serve God. But if you allow your children to be enveloped by the world, to be encompassed by the culture of this world, to be trained and groomed by the agenda of this world, they will eventually serve the culture of this world. There is perhaps no story that I can find in Scripture that paints a clearer, more heartbreaking story of this reality than when you begin to track the downfall of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. It would be alright if we shift this into first gear for a few minutes. Can we, can we just walk through the word a little bit? The story of these two and a half tribes, it starts when Israel is still wandering in the wilderness, and before they have come to the Jordan River, before they have ever conquered the promised land, before they ever make it there, the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 32 and verse number 1. This is while they're still in the wilderness. It says, now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. Somebody say cattle. Yeah. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses. And to Eleazar the priest and to the princes of the congregation saying. Let's down to verse number four. They said, even... The country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, it is a land for cattle. And thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land, the land that's not the promised land, the land that they weren't given for an inheritance, the land that doesn't flow with milk and honey, they said, if it would be pleasing, let your servants take this land for possession Now, I don't know if you picked up on this or not. It's very subtle in the text. But they seem to be worried about their cattle. They seem to be a little preoccupied with the cattle. They come to Moses and they offer this long discourse. Now, there's different reasonings uh, of why they had so much cattle. There's some Midrashic texts that suggest that because they were such great warriors, the Reubenites and the Gadites, that they had... Outmaneuvered other tribes, and that they had encompassed to themselves, they had gathered to themselves more cattle, more riches, more wealth than the other tribes. And so they come to Moses and they give him this long discourse. You know, this land out here, I know it's not the promised land, but it's good for cattle. And in case you haven't noticed, we have quite a lot of it. And we're kind of worried that if we go over into that promised land, you're talking about that, it's going to. It's going to diminish our returns a little bit. We're not going to be able to keep as much of our cattle. We might lose some of our wealth and our possessions in the transfer to the promised land. We're going to lose some of our cattle. And they keep talking, cattle, cattle, cattle. But does anybody notice anything that's missing from this discourse? Because we're talking about a major decision here. We're going to build our homes. We're going to build our lives outside of the promised land. Why? Because we've got a lot of possessions. We've got a lot of cattle, and it would be better for us to stay on this side of Jordan. When answering the question, they talk about cattle. Cattle. I told you it was subtle. Cattle. This land is best for our cattle. But Reuben and Gad, what's best for your children? You seem to be awful worried about your cattle and your possessions and your wealth. But what, what's best for your children? Where are your children going to live? Where are your children going to grow up? Hold on, Brother Jordan. You might, you might just be reading into that a little bit much. Well, Let's hold on a second. Numbers chapter 32 and verse number 6. Moses responds to them. He says to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war? And shall you just sit here? He's trying to open their mind a little bit. To Hold on a second. There's... There's more to this thing than just your cattle. There's more going on here than than just your possessions, than just your wealth. And watch how Reuben and Gad respond to Moses in Numbers chapter 32 and verse number 16. They come back, they come near to him and they said, We will build sheepfolds. Verse number 16, we will build sheepfolds here for our cattle. And then we will build cities for our little one. Anybody notice the order of operations here? We will build sheepfolds for our cattle. And then we will build cities for our little ones. But nonetheless, we will go up and fight if that is what you require of us. Reuben and Gad are still more concerned about their cattle than they are their children. And I can't help but wonder if Moses looked back at Reuben and Gad with with sorrow in his eyes, knowing that their priorities were all messed up. I can't help but wonder how many pastors and how many times you have bishops sat at the table of council, with men who were more concerned about their overtime and concerned about their careers and concerned about accumulating to themselves larger houses and more wealth and more prosperity before they ever mention the children, before they ever mention the effect on their children. I'm glad you have cattle, Reuben. I, I'm glad that you have a career, Gad. But I'm more worried about your kids than I am your cattle. Watch how Moses responds to them. They've, they, they're still not getting the message So Moses. He just lays it out for them. He spells it out in Numbers 32 and verse number 24. He fixes the order of operation for them. He says, here's what you're going to do. Build you cities for your little ones. And then... Go worry about that cattle. Moses, he's just, he's just an old hardline bishop. You just, he just doesn't understand. You, you don't understand. If I worry about my cattle first, I can give my kids a better life. If I worry about my overtime first, if I worry about my career first, I can afford better things for my children. I can afford a better life for my children. I'm going to have to to miss some services every once in a while, Bishop. Surely you understand I've got a career to focus on. If I focus on my wealth, on my cattle, I can give my kids a better life. But Reuben, Dad, Mom, Dad, can I tell you tonight that there is no better life that you can give your children than a life that is lived close to the house of God? There is no better gift you can give your children than getting them into the house of God every time the doors are open. There is no better gift you can give your children than making sure prayer meeting is a priority, than making sure youth service is a priority, than making sure every time we have an opportunity to be in the culture of the kingdom, we're going to be there. But if I focus on my cattle, I can give them so much more. You will never be able to give your kid more than what they can receive in the presence of the Almighty God. There is nothing you can give your children in this world that will be greater than a life lived in the presence of God. But Reuben and Gad, at least, at least they are men of their word. So they go up and they fight with their brethren. And matter of fact, the account of numbers says that they went before their brethren, they were on the front lines. Perhaps this leads some credence to the idea that they were the more superior warriors. They were brave, valiant fighters. And now that the promised land has been secured, the battle has been fought, now we get to our opening text tonight in Joshua 22 and verse number 1. They've kept their commitment. They have kept their word. They have fought for the children of Israel. And then Joshua, Joshua 22 and verse number 1. He called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said unto them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You've obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. You've not left your brethren these many days and to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. You kept your word. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Therefore now return you and go you to your tents and unto the land of your possession." It's a sad thing when you've got to use language like your in the kingdom of God. Not our revival. Not our possession. Not our land. He said, go return to your land. Because you wanted the land that wasn't inside the promise. Which Moses, the servant of the Lord, he gave you on the other side of Jordan. So Moses, he's, he's passed away. He's gone. The old hardline bishop. He's, he's not there anymore to order anybody around. But make no mistake, Joshua is no dummy. Joshua Has got some discernment about him. And more than that. Joshua had a love for the presence of God. You can go back to Exodus chapter 33. And we'll, we'll keep this moving tonight. But you can go back to Exodus chapter 33. And you will find that when God spoke to Moses. And the Bible says as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses would leave those conversations with God. And go back to the camp. The Bible makes it very clear that Joshua refused to leave the tabernacle. We're talking about a man who understands the importance of staying close to the house of God. Joshua didn't even want to leave the church. You, you couldn't have drugged him out if you called the cops. I've had moments like that in the sanctuary, Bishop. He didn't want to leave the tabernacle. He wanted to be close to the things of God. He wanted to be close to the presence of God. And he knows this is not good news, Reuben. It's not a good idea to go that far from the presence of God. So before he lets them go, he gives them this admonishment in Joshua 22 in verse number 5. He says, you can go, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law. Which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God. To walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, and to cleave unto Him. And to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Another translation says, keep the commandments and cling, cling to Him. This word cleave from the Hebrew, the it has two implications. It's used figuratively to mean affection. It's used figuratively to mean your heart is close to something. But there's a second meaning of this word. It's also used literally to mean you are in close proximity to something. He said, go to your tents if you want to. But you're going to have to learn how to cleave to the Lord. You're going to have to learn how to get close to the things of God. I can't tell you how to live your life. I can't stop you from going and doing what you want to do. But I will tell you that the farther you get from the house of God and the farther you get from the things of God, the harder it will be to maintain a relationship with that God. I don't find it a coincidence that the language Joshua uses is the very same language from Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24. When the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall Cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Relationship happens in proximity. Relationship happens in intimacy. Long distance relationship can only work for so long. He said you can go where you want to. You can live how you want to, but the only way you're going to stay serving God is if you learn how to keep close to the things of God. You can go and live on the other side of Jordan if you want to, but I'm telling you, Reuben, I'm telling you, Gad, I'm telling you, Manasseh, you are going to have to learn at some point in your life how to cleave, how to crave, how to stay close to the house of God. Because after a while, in a long-distance relationship, you begin to lose familiarity. After a while, you begin to forget what the presence of God felt like. After a while, you start to forget what it was like to watch families every single day bring sacrifice to the altar. And after a while, you become more and more estranged from the very God you once declared your love for. Oh, it's okay. Joshua doesn't know what he's talking about. We'll be, we'll be fine. We don't have to stay that close to the house. It, he's just stuck in his ways, just like Moses was. We'll be fine. In Joshua 22 and verse number 9 in another translation says that the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they turned back. Somebody say turn back. Turn back. They turned back and they went from Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead. Now Shiloh is where the tabernacle is. Shiloh is where the presence of God is. Shiloh is where the sacrifices are offered. Shiloh is where the altar is. Shiloh is the center of life for somebody who fears God. Shiloh is the heartbeat of Israel. Shiloh is where everything with the presence of God happens. And they turn their back and they leave from Shiloh. And they go back to Gilead. And I've preached this whole message tonight to get to this point in the story. As pastor would say, I'm through my introduction now. We're, we're finally, we're getting there. We're on the first conclusion. <laughs> after all this time of worrying about their cattle, after all this time of worrying about their wealth, their possessions, remember, this is why they didn't go in the promised land. We've got too much wealth to look after. We've got too much cattle. We need to, we need to stay over here. After all that time, they never once mentioned their children, but now suddenly... After it's all said and done, the wars have been fought. They go back to their tents. Now, suddenly, they're getting worried about their children. And they do something very strange. Joshua 22 and verse number 10. Bibles, this is the very next verse after they had left the presence of Shiloh. The very next verse says, When they came to the borders of Jordan, that are in the land of Canaan, and the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built there an altar by Jordan. A great altar to see to. Now we've got a problem because there's already an altar. The altar is in Shiloh where the tabernacle is, where the presence of God is. There's no other way to offer sacrifice but to offer sacrifice before the presence of God at the altar in Shiloh. You're not supposed to be building your own altar. And so Israel, they send this delegation. I'm I'm moving quickly through this story. We've got somewhere to go to. They send this delegation to ask them, why have you committed this great sin? What are you doing? You're not supposed to be building your own altar. And I love how they phrase this in Joshua 22 in verse number 19. They say, notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth. In Shiloh and take possession among us, but rebel not against the Lord nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. For this third time they are given the same advice. You cannot survive that far from the house of God. If your land's unclean, if you can't live for God that far away, come back come on home. You've tried it for a little while and it's not working out. You don't need to build your own altar. You just need to come on home. You need to come back to Shiloh. And this is the message that we are sending out to every backslider, to every prodigal. You've tried it your way long enough. You've tried living for God way out there. You still say you live for God, but you've been gone for a long, long time. Just come on home. Come where the altar is. Come where the presence of God is. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to build your own altar. Just come home. But but nobody wants to welcome me back there. I, I love how they said this. They said, come and take possession among us. You know why this is so incredible? The land has already been divided. They already have their own pews. They already have their own seats. They already have their own spot. But they were so moved by the trouble that their brother was in. They were so moved by how lost that they were, how cold they were. They said, you know what? You can take my seat. I don't even care. You can, As long as you come home, take my spot in the choir. Take my spot on the praise team. Take my pew. Take my usher spot. Just come home. I, I'm not holding it all for myself. I, I'm not being jealous over what I've got here. I just want you home. Just come home. Come back to Shiloh. Come back to the house of God. Come back and dwell with the people of God. The answer is not trying to build another altar. The answer is come home. I love how they phrased it. Don't rebel against the Lord by building an altar beside the altar. Can I remind you tonight that there is still only one altar? There is still only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One saving gospel message that was once delivered to the saints. There are not multiple ways to get to heaven. There is not your altar and my altar. There is not your way and my way. There is only the Bible way. And if you want to enter into the presence of God, you must be born again. You must repent of your sins. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't build your own altar. There is only one. Way. The delegation comes to the two and a half tribes. They say, You cannot offer sacrifice on your own altar. And immediately they get defensive. Thank God people don't get defensive. (laughs) They immediately get defensive. They say, Whoa, 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 hold, hold on a second. You've misunderstood. This altar is not meant for sacrifice. That's a strange thing to say, Bishop. That's about as strange as saying this swimming pool is not meant for swimming. This grill is not meant for grilling. This bed is not meant for sleeping. Hold on, you've misunderstood. We have built a place for sacrifice to not offer sacrifice. What a strange altar. You've built an altar, but you're not going to offer sacrifice on this altar. Well, then what on earth are you going to do with the altar? Joshua 22, verse 21. We have done this because of this, for fear of this thing, saying, In time to come, your children might speak unto our children. Now we're worried about our children. Now that we've built our home far from the house of God. Now that we've surrounded our children with the culture and the agenda of the world, now we're worried about our children. And we're worried that one of these days your children will say, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made Jordan a border between us and you. You children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. You know, we got over here and realized we, we are pretty far from the house of God. We, You know, we, um, we thought it was going to be okay, but we're kind, of, we're kind of worried that one of these days, your children are going to make our children not serve God any longer. Well, you, you, you've got the right thing to be worried about, but you're worried about the wrong person making it happen. You're right to be worried about whether you're or not your children are going to serve the Lord. But you shouldn't be pointing your finger at the people who are staying close to the house of God. Don't point your finger at the people who are doing everything they can to be close to the presence of the Lord. Oh, God. We we didn't build this altar to sacrifice on. We built it to be a reminder that even though we've chosen to live far from God, we're still going to serve God. This is literally the reminder. This is... The inscription, it's called the altar of Ed. It's the altar of witness, the very last verse of Joshua 22. They put an inscription, they write on the altar that this is a reminder that even though we have chosen to live far from God, we're still going to serve God. But your actions reveal a whole lot more about where your heart is than your words do. We've moved our family far from the things of God, but don't worry. We still serve God. We have built this great altar to remind us of our commitment. You know, at first, I was was convinced, like, there's no way they didn't eventually offer sacrifice on this altar. I mean, it would be so much more convenient than going all the way to Shiloh. You know, they said they're not going to sacrifice on it, but come on. Eventually, they're going to sacrifice on it. And you know, the more I looked and the more I studied, I could not find one place where they ever sacrificed on that altar. I'll give it to him. Reuben, Gad, you're men of your word. I, I thought, you know what? If I can't find it in scripture, maybe I'll find it in some historical texts. It's not there. I looked in the Midrash. The English translation I could find. <laughs> I couldn't find it there. I could not find one place where they ever sacrificed on this altar. But there's a clue as to why. Oh, God help us. Joshua 22, verse number 10. They said, we've built this great altar, a great altar to see to. The literal translation of this in the Hebrew means it is an altar for sights. This altar is not for sacrifice, it's just for looks. This altar, we don't plan on offering any sacrifice here. We don't plan on showing our children how to sacrifice here. No, 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 this altar, it's just for looks. It was never meant for sacrifice. It was meant for sights. We don't want our kids to forget what the altar looks like. So we're going to build our own out here. But this altar is a strange altar. Because this altar will never see sacrifice. How long did it take for the journey to Shiloh to become too arduous? How long did it take until they just stopped making the trek to the real altar? How long did it take when you've built your house so far from the things of God? That Thursday night prayer meeting just too inconvenient. How long does it take living far from the things in the presence of God until midweek is just an option? Until Sunday night's just an option? Until youth service is just an option? How long does it take until the journey is just a little too inconvenient? Would you imagine with me tonight how different the lives of the children who grew up in Shiloh was from the lives of the children who grew up in Gilead? Would you imagine it? Every day the children in Shiloh, they saw the altar. They saw the tabernacle. But you know what else they saw? They saw the priests of God. They saw families lining up from all across Israel. They saw families sacrificing. They saw families going into their flocks and getting the best that they had. The best sheep. The best doves. They saw families giving the best that they had and taking it to God. And every day there was sacrifice on the altar. Every day they watched the priest minister in the presence of God. Every day they saw what it looked like to love God. And the children of Gilead, they had an altar too. But this was a strange altar. There were never any priests at this altar. There was never any sacrifice at this altar. They never saw families lining up, bringing the best that they had to bring to this altar. They never got to see families crying out to the Lord, thanking God for His goodness at this altar. This altar was a a strange altar. Because it was there, but nobody ever used it. And church, hear me when I tell you tonight that children who grew up, grow up around empty altars, children who never see their parents' sacrifice, are children who will be lost to the culture around them. It should be no surprise to you that it was later recorded in First Chronicles chapter 5 and 25 that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh All of them, they transgressed against the God of their fathers. And they went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land, whom God destroyed before them. You let your children stay around an empty altar long enough, this is where it goes. This is what it leads to. They eventually go whoring after the gods of the land around them. Because these are children who grew up around a strange altar. They grew up around an empty altar and were lost to the culture around them. A strange altar is an altar that you are willing to pay lip service to but you are not willing to bring sacrifice to. They wrote the inscription on the altar. This is a witness between us that we will serve God. They were willing to pay lip service to it but never once did they bring sacrifice to it. And I'm not so much concerned tonight about whether you have an altar. Because there's a lot of people in this world who have a church. That's my church. I I go to that church. That's, That's where my family goes every now and then. But I want to know, have your kids watched you place anything on that altar? Have your kids watched you sacrifice and rearrange your life to prove that we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto us. Have your children watched you as you brought a sacrifice unto the Lord and said, You know what, God, we may not have this much money for the offering right now. I know this is stretching us right now. We don't really have time to do it right now. But God, we are going to bring a sacrifice to the altar. I'm not so concerned tonight about whether you have an altar. About whether you can point out the altar. I want to know. Has your family ever watched you bring sacrifice to the altar? Because kids who never see their parents sacrifice, They never learn to love and to value the things of God. And kids who only ever see their parents sacrifice begrudgingly. They'll sacrifice, but they're going to complain about it in the car on the way home. We'll give in that missions conference offering, but we're going to complain about it at the dinner table when we get home. We're going to serve in that church. We're going to be on the clinging team, but when we get in private, we're going to complain about it. Kids who watch their parents sacrifice but do it begrudgingly, they learn to despise the things of the house of God. But when you've made up your mind, every time the doors are open, every time there's a prayer meeting, every time there's a service, I feel my help right now. Every time there's an offering, every time there's a cause, every time there's an opening on the cleaning team, every time there's an opening to bring my service to the house of God, I'm going to give with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver every time there's something that needs to be done, count me in, pastor. If the doors are open, count me in, pastor. If we're having new service, count me in, brother Jordan. If the toilets need clean, count me in. If the choir needs sung in, count me in. I don't care what it is. I want to be involved in the things of God. Those are the kind of families that have a chance. Those are the kind of families that have a chance of bulwarking your children against the attacks of this world, against the attacks of the agenda of this world. You want your children to love the things of God? You better make sure that you are bringing a sacrifice to the altar. Preacher, are you really making the claim that if we sacrifice for the kingdom of God. It will protect us from conforming to the culture around us. I'm not saying that. Paul said that. Romans chapter 12. Verse number 1. I beseech you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy Acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. The next verse. And be not conformed to this world. You want to stand up against the culture of this world? Your body better be a living sacrifice. You want your family to stand up against the culture of this world? Your family better be bringing a reasonable sacrifice. You want your children to have a chance to serve God? You've got to bring the sacrifice. Reasonable service. This word reasonable is the Greek word logikos, where we get the word logical. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, your reasonable service. I want you to listen. I'm quickly coming to a close tonight. The music can make their way if they so wish. I want you to listen to the definition of this word reasonable service. Service divinely reasonable is constantly necessary in making acceptable offerings to the Lord. And here's the kicker. Each of which is equally, somebody say equally. Each of which is equally profound to eternity. Every sacrifice that you make to be close to God, every sacrifice you make to keep your family close to the house of God, Every single one of those sacrifices is equally profound for eternity. The sacrifice you made tonight to come to midweek service... You're pushing the culture back a little bit more from your house. The sacrifice you make to come to Thursday night prayer meeting, you're pushing the culture away a little bit farther from your house. The sacrifice you make to wake up early in the morning so your kids can hear you reading the word of God, can hear you praying to God. You're pushing the culture away a little bit more from your house. Every single sacrifice, whether it's a Sunday morning service, whether it's a Sunday night service, whether it's a Tuesday youth service, or a Wednesday midweek service, or a Thursday night prayer meeting or whether you're just coming to clean or you're coming to, to, to scrape the side whatever you're doing every single sacrifice is equally important to your eternity I've come to encourage some families tonight Because I firmly believe not every child is going to be lost. Not every person is going to be lost. I know the statistics would like to make you think that there's no hope. That they're only going to get more and more of our children. That confusion is going to destroy more and more of our children. But I've come to encourage you, not every child is going to be lost. Not every family is going to give in to the pressure of this culture. Not every young person is going to backslide and leave the house of God. But it's going to take some families that will stand up and say, This altar, it's not just for looks. This altar is not just for us to wave at when we pass on Sunday morning. But I'm going to bring... A sacrifice I'll do whatever it takes to be in the house of God I'll do whatever it takes to give of my life to the things of God and if that's the cry of your heart tonight I wonder if all across this place that we can lift our hands to the Lord and could we renew some commitments tonight God, I'm not going to build my house so far from the things of God that my children don't know what the culture of the kingdom is like. God, every sacrifice I have to make to be in church, it's worth it. Every service that I've got to move things out of the way to be there, it's worth it. Every time I've got to push...